This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome, everyone, to What's in Store, the show where we cover hot topics at the cross-section of retail and real estate. I'm Carly Iacono, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Ressa. Chris, good morning. How are you this lovely day? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Glad to hear it. I know you are on a whirlwind real estate tour. Tell us where you went. I, I went to like seven states in 36 hours and four time zones. Uh, so I've been all over from, it was wild. Um, it was a whirlwind tour, looking at some properties to buy and uh, got back last night and I'm gonna take it easy this weekend. That has to be some sort of record. I don't even know how you get to that many states in 36 hours. So I'd, I'd love to see the map with the push pins to, to see how that worked out. That's amazing. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you all about it offline. It was insane. So <laughs> I hope it was productive and glad you're back. Yes. So thank you to everyone listening for tuning in for this month's what's in store. We're always happy to have you today. We are covering something I think kind of fun. It's the state of Americans push towards a more active lifestyle. And what does that change in behavior mean for retail real estate? And it really touches several sectors. Sporting goods, fitness, and sports entertainment are the three largest that benefit from this new trend. So we're going to go through each and talk about what we're seeing based on new consumer behavior and what tenants are benefiting. Let's go. So just broadly, Chris, let's start with why we think there's been a shift. We know there was COVID, everyone was locked up and they you know, were forced to do things different, maybe go outside for a hike, maybe pick up golf, things they hadn't done. I know that's a, a big one. Why else do you think consumers are shifting to this new lifestyle? I don't personally think it's because their doctors are telling them to. So what else is driving the change in behavior in your mind? Any ideas? I mean, there, there's... I think first off, if you went to some, I, I think there's conflicting data around the changing behaviors, right? With on, on one hand, you might read a study on kids that are playing video games longer than ever. And on the other hand, you see Lululemon and the athleisure craze and what's going on. And so I think there's some conflicting data about lifestyle and I, I, I'm not professing to be an expert in lifestyle. But what I would say is that I think there's a lot of um, with social media and uh, the sharing of information at such a rapid speed, there's a, definitely a, a, a lot out there in showing on what you can do outside of the home. And I think people have gravitated to that and that's leading to a, a lot of different things. Like I wonder if the pickleball craze would be as high as it is today 
1997 as fast. I think it would be hard. I'm not sure I would know what pickleball is if it wasn't because of social media. And so right. that leads to a lot of different things, right? You see all these fitness influencers online. You see like on my newsfeed, I'm a sports fanatic. I see like all these sports clips coming on. And so um, I think that leads to people wanting, I think we're a nation that does like to try things and we're out there trying new things, whether it's pickleball or whether it's your kids to soccer. And so that's one. And I think the next thing is there's a lot of innovation happening. Technology and uh, is really helping. Uh, TV is really helping. But I, I think there's been a lot of innovation happening in the spaces. And I think that's getting people excited about uh, being outside. I love that you just tied TV to increased fitness, but <laughs> visibility. I know what you yeah. meant, but yeah. it's a funny correlation. Also the rise of fitness trackers, right? Absolutely everybody seems to have a Apple watch. I know I'm wearing one, a Fitbit, something, and we're becoming a lot more conscious about how we live and the data. Um, and the last thing I would bring up is the, the mindset of Gen Z. There's been a lot of studies on, as a generation, how they're spending their time. And they seem to be much more health-focused, fitness, active lifestyle-minded, all the way from the Lululemon insanity that's happening through actually going and doing sports, not just wearing the athleisure day-to-day. -day. Yeah. So interesting confluence of factors happening right now, but hopefully all for the good. Hopefully. Hopefully. So let's go through the different sectors and kick it off with sporting goods. There's been, of course, there's a, a wide swath of tenants here, but a few let's touch on starting with Dick's Sporting Goods. So we know they have some new concepts coming out. I was reading about their Dick's House of Sports, I think it's called, right? Yeah. Where they have everything you can imagine from a track to a high-tech batting cages, rock climbing walls, golf simulators. It's really an immersive experience, which of course is intended to drive sales. So I thought that was very interesting. What are you seeing in the sporting goods space from new concepts and how is that driving growth in your opinion? So I think, I think the, the, the first one I think of is Dick's Sporting Goods. They are uh, certainly innovating and doing really unique things. They are, they have the house of sports concept. They have their traditional concept. They have public lands and, um, you know, we're under construction on a traditional Dick sporting goods right now. And it's going to be the second one of the newest prototype. I think it's the second, the first one was in South Bend of their traditional store. It is a fabulous store. I'm excited. Uh, we're set to deliver uh, sometime in September or October. I forget the exact date. Um, and so, and then you go into public lands, which is a cool, like outdoorsy store. House of Sports is this unbelievable immersive experience. And, you know, they're doing things with sports teams and all this stuff. And I think it's getting consumers excited about you know, the sporting goods sector and there's a lot of new sports. And so they have all those products. There's a ton of new gear there. And then the, the fact that the sport fashion apparel, the athletic, you know, the fashion athletic apparel is, you know, on fire. Um, and um, yeah, so I think that's leading to good things for the retail real estate because, you know, uh, 
companies like Dix are trying to bring these concepts to different markets. So they are definitely one of the bright spots in the industry. Credit Intel reported that their year-over-year sales were up 5.3%. And if you think about the last three years, right, we had COVID, we had sales way down, then we had a huge jump in 21 and 22. For their sales to be up in 23, year-over-year, coming of, off of such strong growth is amazing to me that they haven't hit a, a saturation point. So I think that's a really good metric and definitely a bright spot overall. Yeah, I think growing sales are always a, a good sign, uh, especially you know given some volatility in the capital markets and the noise in, in the headlines today. But I think when you're coming out with all these new concepts, you're spending money on your stores, and there's innovation in the product that's in the store, I think consumers open their wallet and they find a way to figure it out, especially on something they're so passionate about, like athletics, sporting goods, and athletic fashion apparel. And I think all of that additional effort that Dix is putting into the consumer experience is really gonna help them grow market share. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these are commodity items and you could buy them multiple places. So I could probably order the same soccer ball in 10 different places, probably a lot more than that, actually. But if you're in the store, you're trying things, you're experiencing it, you're going to be drawn to that brand. And that's going to be the first to come to mind and probably the first place that you're going to search either online or in store. So I really think that their efforts are going to pay off long term with increased market share, which we're already seeing. I what I would say to that, I think that's true to a point. I, I think that's true for the consumer who knows exactly what they want. Right. But a, a Dick Sporting Good is, is a super store, in my opinion. You know, their, their prototypes for traditional are 45,000 feet. The house supports 100,000 feet. You know, when you go into a Dick's, you're getting great service. You can ask the questions to, that you have. They also have huge depth of product. I learn about a ton of new brands every time I'm gonna do sporting goods. They have all these sizes, colors, like I said, the depth of product, all these different brands. And so, you know, like oftentimes, uh, I'm like, I need a couple of workout shirts, but I'm not sure what, and so I'm gonna go and look at Dick's Sporting Goods. So I'm not sure the, I would say that, Sure, you can buy things everywhere, but the appeal to the depth of product that they have, to me, you know, helps the art of discovery, which I think is a key component in the retail sale. I love that you brought that up. Art of discovery is such a nice way to say that because it's true, right? Yeah. It's maybe not as commoditized as I was simplifying it to say that there are so many variations and you probably have people who are new to some of these sports or exploring or upgrading, and they do need the knowledge from the store associates and they need to try things, test them. So you're right. Yeah, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. For sure. What do you think about Hibbit Sports? That's been a name in the headlines a lot this year as well. I know they've got a really strong growth plan projected. Their stock has been on a wild ride for the last few years, up and down and up. So what are your thoughts on Hibbit as a, a company? So I've been a landlord of Hibbit for a long time. Love Hibbit. Um, I think, you know, the sport of the good sectors just overall to me more exciting than it's ever been with the innovation. So you have Dick Sporting Goods. We talked about that. You have Academy who started to expand to new markets, which is a great company. 
and they offer real awesome value experience to the consumer. And then you have Hibbit, which is this small format sporting goods store. They bought a uh, they bought a brand that's an an urban wear brand. They have really they go into really interesting markets. They're able to go into these small markets and offers a, uh, an experience that some large format retailers aren't able to offer. So I, I've always been a big fan of Hibbit. I think they do a great job. Uh, they're a DLC tenant, and uh, I'm a fan. And okay. their online and their online has also done really well. Uh, so. I saw yeah. that their online growth was pretty strong. I think it was 8% the last yeah. time it was reported, which is is strong. And it looks like overall they're performing well in their stores too. So perhaps it's overall expansion, not one taking from the other, which is For exactly sure. what you would want to see. Nice. All right. Anything you want to add on Academy or any other sporting goods retailers before we move on to fitness? I think, you know, the other one I would say like that, that leans in is the, you know, the other piece of it is that we didn't really touch on is just the the sneaker fanatics in the world and you know the the fashion part of footwear from a sneaker perspective you know the and uh you, you look at what Foot Locker has is doing from the store perspective they're really they're opening these new cool stores they call them power stores um they're fascinating, awesome, like world-class, you know, what you might call a sneaker store and uh, some streetwear they have that's just, and and I would tell you some of the products in that store, I, I you've, never, you've never seen before. So I think they're getting amazing really? product. And I think, you know, there's, I think the sector is huge. Um, and I think those sporting goods retailers are, um, they're all doing a really good job right now. They've capitalized on this, you know, coming out of COVID. We're going to get our kids out of the house. Athleisure is huge. Uh, I mean, beyond just sneakers. We touched on Lululemon, but I think every brand is trying to catch up and capture some of that market share. It's just amazing how it's become the go-to style outside of the office. Um, and perhaps even for some people inside the office. It's just, it's such a huge trend. I think actually when I was reading Hibbit's earnings, it said 90% of their sales were uh, apparel and footwear. Yeah. Actually sporting goods items. That's I, crazy. I, I would put sneakers in a different category. Really? I mean, okay. Because uh, there, there's sneaker collectors out there, right? The sneaker heads True. are huge, right? I know people who have like 200 pairs of sneakers and like they won't take them out of the box. Wow. So you could go to like StockX. I have a friend, you know, I have a friend who's like waiting to buy sneakers on when they drop either in the store or on the, you know, on the Nike app. And then they go to StockX and flip them and people are flipping sneakers and it's a huge, a huge thing. Um, so um, I, I wonder I, what, what percentage sales the collector um, type consumer is versus just every day probably I think it's big uh sneaker heads yeah. are big I mean there's these exchanges out there now like that you could that people are flipping sneakers that are on fire so I think sneaker heads are a huge huge um important part of the business and and, and they're also the early adopters for these brands right, right? 
And so I think, I, I think it's a totally different, different customer than the athleisure. I think it's, and, but it's really important to, you know, the consumer brands, whether mm -hmm. it's Supreme, whether it's Nike, the sneakerhead matters. I would love to see those sales separated out, right? What are the high-end limited edition, we'll call them sneakerhead collector sales versus every day for a company like Nike? I don't know if that data exists, but it's pretty interesting that it's such a big part of the segment. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the lines when shoe drops at like Foot Locker is astounding. That's amazing. Yeah. Clearly not my world. I got to get in on this. I had <laughs> no idea it was that big. So yes. I never knew what I was missing. <laughs> Let's move on to fitness. So again, Americans becoming more active, they're out of their houses. Some have said that the gym is becoming sort of a social hub or a place to connect when people are working from home more or working from both the office and home. It's becoming a more important piece. And that doesn't mean that the workout from home or the omni-channel fitness has gone away. It's almost that we're we're kind of taking both and wrapping them into our lives with many people having Peloton memberships and gym memberships. And the stat that I was looking at, uh, I think this was again, Credit Intel, 19% of the population have active gym memberships, but that's expected to double. So the size of the fitness industry is expected to double in less than 10 years. So we, you know, that's huge growth over time. There's a few companies that have done really well capturing the, the market segments. Um, some to note would be Planet Fitness, um, East Florida LA Fitness, and Lifetime on the high end. So those are the three that we watch. Uh, what's your view overall on fitness? You know, I think that the, the first thing I think about is I love that that stat you said, I, I talk about this all the time, which I think Americans miss, like only 19% of Americans have a gym membership. So there's huge opportunity in the fitness. Now, right. one of the things if you talk to the gym operators that, you know, Planet broke the mold, which was, you know, getting the non-gym members to actually start going to the gym in the 80s was really hard. And when Planet, you know, broke the mold with, you know, the membership pricing and figured the model out that really, that really, I think was a breakthrough in the fitness industry. Um, and then you started seeing, you know, the competitive pricing throughout from all these other gyms. So I think it's done a lot for real estate because for a long time, it was a challenge to get a fitness center into a shopping center because of restrictions. I think that's the tailwind. Um, I think everyone knows that, uh, gyms belong in shopping centers. They create new traffic. People come on a regular basis. And at the end of the day, um, do, you know, the, the, the two arguments were always one parking and two, um, you know, does someone go to the gym, get sweaty and then go shop. And the first one on parking, I think there's been a lot of debunking of this myth that like, you know, a lot of peak retail times are not peak workout times. However, the fact that someone's so used to going to the shopping center with such a repeatable visit when they, you know, when they're going there all the time, it makes it a lot more convenient for them when they decide to go shopping to go to that shopping center. So I think that's, attention. yeah. And then right? I think attention. And then I think the last thing, I think there's been this huge push 
into these, um, you know, class fitness and alternative fitness that I think has really been a boom to the shopping center space. You know, you've got from Orange Theory to Stretch Lab to, you know, the, the rowing places to F45 to hot yoga. And I think the overall, the club Pilates and, and the list goes on and on and on. And I think these have, you know, brought a new consumer to shopping centers that maybe were either doing Pilates at home or went to some Pilates studio that was like in like this quasi flex building. That's now this whole class fitness got branded by these companies and pushed and scaled out, which I think has done a been really good for shopping centers and really awesome for the consumer. And, you know, in some markets, as you talked about, you know, people talk about they have a Peloton, they have a box gym membership, something, and then they have like their class fitness membership. So the notion that, you know, people were ever going to come back to the gym after COVID that got debunked real quick. Uh, and I'm, I'm super bullish when you have 19% market share uh, and there's a lot of opportunity on the fitness uh, sector. And a huge diversity of offerings for retail, right? Very small square footage, specialty offerings, like you just said, of all different types that target different consumers. And then we have our massive LA fitness, lifetime sort of gyms. Um, and there's room for both. And I think that's the end message. And when we see the three leaders in the space opening new locations at a time when there's some economic pressures, to put it mildly, I think that's a great sign. And it really does show that consumers are dedicated to this more active lifestyle, or if not dedicated, they're certainly still keeping their gym membership. So they feel connected to the active lifestyle, whether or not they're actually going, it's different, but it's still an important part. And there is growth, even in a time of economic stress. I, so we'll see I if think, that continues. I think there's, there's two things that really you know, when you're talking about working out from home versus going to the gym, there's two things that I think really make it so much more uh, successful for the, the gym owner versus the home workout, which is one is the, the social nature and the accountability. It's a lot easier when no one's watching to say, I'm going to miss a workout. And so people love the act of going to the gym. And then the second piece of that is, you know, I have a pretty uh, built out gym in my house. It's something I always wanted. But I, if I signed up for a gym membership for like, I don't know, like the next 20 years, it would be cheaper than what it cost me to build out my gym. <laughs> so wow, that's pretty there's, elaborate. There's a cost, yeah. the cost benefit in my right. opinion, is, you know, skews to the gym heavily uh, and, I think, you know, you're always going to have runners who want to go run outside. You're always going to have, you know, the people who are going on hikes and, and doing that. But the, there's from the equipment to the social accountability to the cost, the gym is clearly here to stay and here to grow. I agree. And I think the numbers are showing that your and I view on active lifestyles aside, it really looks like this is an overall theme for the younger generations who are driving the growth and the push in that direction. Sure, for sure. 
we're going to, I think it will continue. Absolutely. Let's go to our third and final category today, just briefly, and that is sports entertainment. Now, we talked about pickleball on a previous episode, but it seems like you just cannot get away from talking about pickleball because the stats are staggering. So I'm just going to throw one out there before you give me your thoughts on, on the latest pickleball operators and trends. There were 4.8 million pickleball players in 2022, 4.8 million, which was growth of 39% since 2019. So in less than three years, the sport has grown 39%. And even more interesting, most of that growth is in the younger age brackets. So it's no longer you know, the same mindset that it's a, a sport for people who can't play tennis. It's now for everybody and it is just on a tear. And the last thing I'll, I'll mention quickly is we're seeing private equity entrance into the space, which you and I touched on would be a huge turning point. So the, and you probably saw this, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes purchased the Pro Pickleball Association and Pickleball Central, and he's very active in private equity. And uh, that, that was a big headline just recently. So it's here to stay. Tell me about it. Tell me what you think, why you love it. I think... So from a consumer perspective, you know, you always wonder like what's a fad and what's not. I think the numbers are showing that this isn't a fad. And as it becomes, and from a real estate perspective, I think Top Golf broke the mold in this sports entertainment world, which is like bringing like sports and entertainment from a consumer experience that anyone can do and to a commercial property setting and you know a while ago it was you know people were always talking about like i want to be the uber of you name the industry right and now what i hear is like people want to be the top golf of you name the industry and i don't know who's going to win in the pickleball arena but it's early days, but people are, um, people are certainly trying. There's a lot of operators out there. And right now, because, you know, building a top golf and they, they, a lot of these pickleball facilities, building a top golf is not an inexpensive endeavor no. and, and looking, and I've looked at some of these pickleball facilities, building a pickleball facilities in the same price range. And so the, the whole capital credit going into it is I think with the slow pieces right now, but as soon as someone starts to, you know, really get this, it's about to, it, it's definitely going to take off. And there's a couple of operators out there who are starting to grow. I think, you know, there's Ace Pickleball, there's Chicken and Pickle. And I think that you're about to start seeing uh, a significant more of these. And I'm sure one or two will take the reins and scale like other industries. Um, you know, right now you have a lot of like tennis courts that offer pickleball and like, you know, things like this, but like these massive facilities, which I think change the dynamic of commercial real estate properties, you know, someone told me, I don't know what the number is. Maybe there's a hundred open in the U S under, a, you know, I don't know if any one operator's got 20 yet. So right. the runway is yeah. huge and there's a lot of opportunity. So we'll say, I think one thing of note is that what is really driving some of these big concepts, not the like tennis court 
pickleball, meaning like the tennis court that offers pickleball, but these large commercial facilities is the food and beverage. And it's a large component of the volume that these facilities are producing. And so you wouldn't have the food and beverage without the sports entertainment. But I do think it's an important, uh, important stat of note that the food and beverage is really driving uh, the sales volumes in these places. And that's really the difference between a sport experience and, and an overall entertainment experience, right? Yeah. Is the, the meshing of those two. I was at a golf simulator recently that just opened and there were, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 rooms that all had full service, you know, menus, bar menus, beautiful build outs. And then there was a complete restaurant bar and kind of joint area as well. Beautiful. Absolutely. Like fantastic build out. I thought, gosh, even if you didn't play golf or you didn't want to pick up a club, what a great place to meet with friends. And obviously that's what they were going for, which ties back to your point at the very beginning of the episode of the, the driver of social media and experiences and people seeing other people getting out and doing different things and wanting to do the same. Yeah. I think this the food and beverage element makes it a joint experience and the sports is just something you can point to to say, well, I went and did X, Y, Z with my friends or family, sure. whomever it is, right? So I think that adding that element makes any of these experiences, which are would be more limited, much broader in appeal. For sure. We'll see what's next. Maybe ping pong. I mean, there, there's just endless ideas here that you can partner with uh, food and beverage. So it's going to be fun. Kickball. What was it? Kickball. 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 Pitball. Okay. No, kickball. Oh, kickball. Okay. Kickball. Yeah, I always liked kickball. Okay. All right. You start that up. We'll get a group <laughs> together. All right. This was this was a lot of fun. It's a sector that I think we all should keep watching as it emerges. And hopefully the trends continue to be as positive as they have been the last few years. To everyone watching, that was this month's episode of What's in Store, covering Americans' push towards an active lifestyle and how it affects retail real estate. I'm Carly Iacono, and Chris, so glad you could be here as well. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you again next month. Take care. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives, so it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.